Okay, we're in. So, hello everybody, and welcome to this, the third in our series of podcasts about whether God is the biosphere. Is God the biosphere? And this third episode is about the nature and meaning of God. So it's a hello from me and hello from Ed. Hi there. Hi Ed, how are you? All right, a bit frazzled this morning on a number of matters. Organisational, <laughs> technical. Apart yes, from that, I'm well, fine. quite, quite. Same with me, but um, God will bring us peace, which is great. Thank God for that. I just thought maybe we'd have a quick recap on the last two episodes. Well, I guess we started off looking at all of the many and various rationalizations there are for inaction. And this um, is inaction know, on anything. the biosphere. What's stopping us stopping climate change, to put it simply? Right. And of course, we landed on those three things, didn't we? The tragedy of the commons, the global addiction. Yeah, system. I mean, that, that, that was a, a sort of grouping of them. But there are many and various from climate deniers, which is a sensible place to be because it's a way of preserving your mental health in the face of the apocalypse. Spun statistics, spun accounting, pretending that actually if I go and buy a forest in Wales, then that allows me to use a private jet. That's all right. Um, But, you know, it's it's all the dodgy accounting through to, you know, what can I do in the face of this, that and the other? And, of course, preferential lobbying and so on and so forth. Right. So So these these are the the many things that are distracting us and confusing us and getting us away from what we need to focus on. But then last week we started to look at what might make the biosphere a more compelling object for our attention. And in particular, we looked at well, our relationships with the biosphere and, of course, the dawn of environmental ethics, where Lynn White talked about framing God and religion both as a key feature of what has brought us here in terms of exploiting the world, but also a key opportunity in terms of finding a way out. So that's been something of a springboard for us. And probably important to emphasize at this point that (laughs) this is a disclaimer, you know, we're not trying to sell religion we're not trying to sell god equally we're not trying to criticize organized religions but we're trying to use the concept of of religion the concept of god these notions and we were rather easing into it weren't we rather gently with these ideas like mother nature and we looked at some of the maternal aspects of nature didn't we and nature in aggregate, has this extraordinary capacity to nurture us in both in health and, and happiness. Hedonism, nature as a giver, nature providing wonderful opportunities for our mental health, our physical health, in medicine and so on. Well, I suppose this um, sort of echoes the Garden of Eden idea, doesn't it? The, the sort of well, yeah, of the absolutely. Old but also, you know, nature is an absolute. There's no getting away from it, as the escapologists, another right. refuge, have attempted to. And in a way, humanity is attempted, or uh, sorry, parts of humanity and some well, I religions. I think a lot of what we call civilization has been about trying to subdue nature in one form or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose we talked about nature a lot last week, but one thing I really felt I need to do, because I sort of felt quite seduced by these ideas of seeing nature as a god, I kind of felt like we need to interrogate the idea of God 
and try and get to the root of, of what we're talking yeah. about when we talk yeah. about God. Hmm. And so this is where we've, I mean, in a way, this is where we've slightly have had some tension, but at the same time, I think we both see an opportunity here. So maybe, do you want to start laying out some of the things that you've come across in your research? So what is a garden at this stage? To emphasise again, we're talking about God with a small g. And does that appeal? Can we see this as... So a bloke called Scott Littleton defines a deity as a being with powers greater than those of ordinary humans, but who interacts with humans, positively or negatively, in ways that carry humans to new levels of consciousness beyond the grounded preoccupations of ordinary life. That sounds rather like nature, rather like the biosphere. In monotheistic thought, God is usually viewed as a source of supreme being, creator, principal object of faith, conceived of as being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipenevolent, as well as having an eternal and necessary existence. Oh, that sounds a bit like the biosphere in nature. These are quite theoretical ideas of God. I mean, I wonder how many practicing believers in various religions think in these terms about God. This is taken from theologians. (laughs) And I think it's important to sort of see the way in which God is conceived, if if we're then going to bridge it into everyday life. And I mean, Jung, on the psychological side, equates religious ideas of God with transcendental metaphors of higher consciousness, in which God can be just as easily be imagined as an eternally flowing current of vital energy that endlessly changes shape as an eternally unmoved, unchangeable essence. Well, it sounds pretty much like nature again. Theistic religious traditions often require worship of God, Mm. but Muslims believe that the purpose of existence is to worship God. To address the issue of an all-powerful being demanding to be worshipped, it is held that God does not need or benefit from worship, but that it is for the benefit of the worshipper. Now, if we think about that, and we think about worshipping the biosphere, Mm. That is sort of the same thing, isn't it? Because the biosphere doesn't care. I mean, if we all die, so what? I mean, there's plenty of other creatures and species and so on. But the worshipping is for our benefit. Mm. And so all of these definitions that come from theology and all over the place, it's like, oh, this is like the biosphere, isn't it? Before we move on, I think that idea that the purpose of existence is to worship God actually has quite a lot going for it. If we go back to what we were talking about last week, in terms of purpose and God mm. as a kind of a placeholder, as a kind of a, a negative space, which you use to push out the other things that you might be inclined to worship or the other distractions, the other anxieties, that you clear yeah. all that and with, with this focus on the worship or on the meditation on on one object. So I think that's not crazy at all. I think that's something I can definitely bring with me on my personal quest to make sense out of this God is the biosphere thing. But you wanted to move on to how this works with the If we then come back to us and consider how people experience the notion of God... So God as the giver of life, you know, Mm. so if you go back, sun gods, rain gods, water gods, 
this was not per se a belief in God, but an understanding of the life-giving power of these forces mm. of nature. In other words, they elevated the sun to the status of God because they knew how important the sun was. I mean, well, this Ditto, is an interesting idea that, of God as being the highest thing. You know, there are various ideas of what a God might be. One version of God is that everything will be all right in the end. Another version might be the judge. But here we have God as this is what we're going to prioritize. This mm. is the one thing that, that sits above everything else. And I think, again, as an idea for the biosphere, well, that is exactly what we want, that the biosphere yeah. is prioritized above all else because this yeah, is what we need. Absolutely. Then we have God as an explanation. You know, something weird happens, storms, drought, whatever the rest of it. Mm. And, oh, this is God's will. This is somewhat different. And then along came science and said, well, no, it's not God's will. This is how a thunderstorm works and this mm. is how a flood works and blah, 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 blah. But then we lost sight as God as the giver of life. Mm. And so that's something that we have to get round, as it were which actually does lead on to the next notion of God, which is God as a unifier, as a social organising construct. Mm. That, that, you know, for example, we all believe in our God or gods, and that brings us together as a unit. If you got beyond the village and into a city and into a country, large groups to function well, need some kind of unifying moral compass. I mean, mm. that moral compass, of course, can be abused, but if it's used properly, we need a moral compass. And by goodness, by God, we need a moral compass now. And I mean, the Buddhists, you know, got this notion that, you know, you go through life and then you get reborn, you get rebirth into the heavenly realm. But that mm. comes from living an ethical life. That's exactly what Lynn White was talking about and that we talked about last week, environmental ethics. You know, can we lead this ethical life? And it's not just can we lead this ethical life in relation to the environment. By the way, we need to. You get God as a symbol, something higher than us, more than us. There's more to life than we can see. It's a symbol of human values. The question of something higher than us you know, in terms of our experience of the world, it may seem crazy to talk about spirits in general, but it's certainly not crazy to talk about, for example, a team spirit. And there's a kind of a, a yeah. well of spirit, you know, of uh, psychological contagion that you get within a group of people. You know, if that group of people have a shared moral purpose. So, for example, people go to church and they come away feeling edified and they feel refocused on what their purpose is, then that seems like quite a, a real thing as well. With that Avicenna idea in mind that, you know, we don't want to be constantly reinventing the wheel. We just want to have a clear idea of what we're about, touch base with it periodically with that focused group of people and then kind of get on with things. That brings us into God as faith. I mean, you can't prove the existence of God. You can't disprove the existence of God. You can have faith, and I've always envied people who have faith in a religion. That faith is the way in which you've just expressed it. It's that team spirit. Mm. But that faith is also a purpose. And so God as faith, I think, is particularly significant. 
Well, again, that goes back to the innovation that this Jesus Christ character would have got from Buddhism. Rather than trying to rethink all the steps to enlightenment, taking that out of the equation and just saying, believe in God. Also, that God is love. So it's just believe in God as love. Believe in the highest thing as love. And that's your meditation, essentially. And that's mm. your faith. There's um, a sort of development on that then, which is this notion of God as accountability. As an individual, who am I accountable to? You may say, I don't want to be accountable to anyone. A society without personal accountability is a fractious place. I'm afraid I found myself watching Married at First Sight Australia. (laughs) This is a serious admission. They have these so-called experts. I I think Mm. they are reasonably expert who who are sort of monitoring all these various individuals. And they're saying, look, who is holding the individual accountable in those relationships? Is it okay just to do anything? Mm. Or where is the accountability? And that accountability actually is expressed through the group. Now, who holds me to account for my relationship with the biosphere? Bearing in mind that we each have a two-way relationship with it. Mm. Well, it's sort of handy, isn't it, to say, well, I'm accountable to this God as the biosphere. Two things really strike me there. One is that apparently success in fitness training is hugely increased when people have accountability partners. And indeed, Mm -hmm. in in a lot of endeavors, having some kind of accountability partner is the difference between getting through to the next stage of something and giving up. The other thing that was striking to me is, you know, in the beginning of the book of John, um, there's this famous couple of lines where he he says, in the beginning is the word, the word was with God and the word was God, which to me seems very obviously senseless. It doesn't really kind of mean anything. But the theologian, a friend of Henry VIII's called Erasmus of Rotterdam, retranslated the word, I think the word is logoi or some, some derivative of logoi as conversation. So he said, in the beginning was the conversation, and the conversation was with God, and the conversation was God, which yeah. is a very interesting kind of framing, because it's sort of particularly in the social context of both, you know, our, our shared accountability to each other, on the one hand, yeah. and then also our personal relationship to the shared language that is devised around a group. And of course, language includes a lot of judgment uh, and accountability and aspiration as well. It's very interesting, that notion of communication with God. How do you do that, as it were? In one way, it's quite simple, which is you communicate with God, which simply do unto others as you Mm. would have them do unto you. You know, the golden rule, which applies in many, many religions. And you think about that in relation to the biosphere. Well, don't piss on the biosphere, um, <laughs> not least because it will piss all over you. Treat the biosphere well. It will treat you well. And so you can communicate with God. You won't be using words. You'll be using actions. Well, yes, that also throws us back into these ideas of meditation and prayer and the body as being one's direct connection to the biosphere. Another way in which God is seen is is that, if you like, God will sort it. You know, mm. we've got this high power, God will sort it. The Australian Prime Minister, who is, in my view, a particularly unpleasant being <laughs> who's doing his 
hardest to indeed destroy the biosphere as quickly as possible. Mm. Let's have more coal and all of those things. Anyway, a section of his recent speech um, where he indicates that humans aren't capable of fixing problems on Earth. Instead, he says that's the responsibility of God. In other words, it's not my job as prime minister. Mm. I'm not going to do anything. It's God's. And what the country needs, therefore, is the growth of the church. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's exactly what we're talking about. And if we make God the biosphere and treat it accordingly, then all will be well. And indeed, Prime Minister Morrison will get deselected with a bit of luck. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you know, I I can kind of get with the idea of, of God as representing everything's going to be okay in the end. You know, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And certainly from a meditation standpoint, you know, that sort of sense of overall comfort is something that comes up not just in Christianity, but also in in Buddhism and so on. Mm. And yet the risks of passivity, of of just being like, oh, well, God's going to sort it out so we don't have to do anything. You know, I think, well, over and over again, particularly in American films of the mid-20th century, you see this idea floating around of God looking after the world, but only through the people that act on moral principle and not, Mm. you know, in separation to human activity, as it were. And, of course, for God to sort it, we need to make God the biosphere. The other one that comes up as a concept of God is God as the creator of the universe, in in a similar vein, Mm. you know, God God has created. But it's not such a big leap to say, well, how about God as the universe Mm. and our immediate critical part of it? And to slightly reframe that you know get away from the creator god is the universe and indeed the biosphere yeah that's an interesting one as you say it's been traditionally kind of framed as as creation and then there's a sort of question of well you know i suppose for deists of the early modern period you know there's this idea of god as being the watchmaker i suppose it's because Mm. clocks were a new invention at the time so they imagined god sort of winding the clock of the universe and then disappearing and not really participating in the universe whereas what you're saying is more like pantheism where everything you look at is god or is an expression of god which makes sense you know i can see why people would look at things that way i think theologians have argued both ways on that one But to me, that certainly has more going for it. You know, if this entity exists in a real way, then it's something that is a bit more accessible than being a mere creator of the universe. I don't know whether we are or we aren't getting somewhere with this idea, this notion, this this thesis, this Mm. uh, whatever. But God is the biosphere. Well, how does that connect with established religions? For established religion, who is your God? I thought about that quite a lot, and it's so often the case, I think almost universally the case, that whilst God in established religion has characteristics, and indeed there are representations and images and paintings and all the rest of it, but no one actually comes up and says, well, this is God. God is this sort of shape or that sort of, you know, God is a number 29 bus, you know, God Mm. is... Well, I suppose there's this idea of a god sitting on a cloud or a guy with a beard that sits up there. That's all our imagery. There's Mm. there's nothing in the Bible or the Quran or blah, 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 saying there's God. So it seemed to me that actually four established monotheistic religions 
bats, then the biosphere being gone is not about an alternative replacement. It's simply an addition, if you like. You, you asked me, I, I sort of never really answered it last week. You said that I had a point about consciousness. And at the time, I, I was absorbed in something else. This idea that you come across now and again that matter has a kind of an inevitable destiny in mind all these organic things are trying to to gain consciousness so that the universe or god can can perceive itself and thinking about this i mean i I did find myself looking around the matrix of nature all these phenomena around which out of the infinitude things appear like birds or tigers or whatever they might be or in our case, a cat with a small bird in its mouth. It seems to me that the significance of the world is contained in our consciousness. Without it, the world doesn't exist for us. We don't exist for it. And so the, yeah. our, our whole experience of the world is held in our consciousness. And when we see other people or other beings, you know, other animals, whatever, we also recognize they hold, at least to some extent, they hold in their uh, minds a consciousness and therefore a, a kind of a perception of the world and again that sort yeah. of reminds me slightly of, of lynn white and the, the ethical point because you know if we believe that these other beings are like us we treat them accordingly mm. um where you know quite a lot of the time we treat or humanity treats the consciousness of animals as being a sort of unimportant precursor in the case of say cattle or pigs to slaughter or in the case of beetles to extermination but yeah it's a sort of an inconvenient truth isn't it well exactly right exactly and you know in a way for example in islam there is and also in judaism there is this idea of halal or kosher food that is killed humanely you know without pain the the acceptance that meat needs to be eaten for dietary purposes mm. but the also the acceptance that this creature is a creation of of god in that framing and needs to be killed in a respectful manner this matrix of beings if we see them as being in some sense like us then that in aggregate is a bit like what you were saying earlier on about pantheism you're looking at this world with a respect for its consciousness going back to the last episode the sheer health and happiness offered by taking a nurturing relationship to things and and engaging in this two-way relationship with the biosphere that this is a workable idea of god even if it's not a testable hypothesis you know we're not asking you to believe that uh, the biosphere is god i find beliefs to be dangerous things they end up in all sorts of funny places with ideologies for example all sorts of weirdnesses have gone on in the name of beliefs i try and avoid them at all cost Mm. but i think we're expressing this as a faith but it's going beyond the faith because there's a massive i think anyway rationale to placing the biosphere as god as the way to save our habitat and indeed in the long run the human race yeah and if you go back through this episode there are just so many different pointers that say yeah that's the way to go so Mm. i don't know what does everyone think Well, exactly. Let us know. And I suppose, you know, that in the context of world religions, by day, maybe people accept an idea of God without interrogating us as much as we are here. And I feel like that possibly brings us into the rituals around our lives and our activities and our beliefs. 
which might be a good place to kick off from for the next episode. Do you think, Ed? Absolutely. How do we institutionalize this new God? And rituals are particularly important. And we all, Inst- well, I like rituals. Yes, I suppose it's about the art and practice of living well, isn't it? Those are the kind of rituals that we want to think about. But just to say, firstly, thank you for listening and for considering these ideas. And next week, yes, I think we'll be talking about rituals. Also, I should point out that I've been putting show notes and some quite good links to the previous episode, as I will be with this one. So do check them out and enjoy them and get back to me if you have any thoughts. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. Okay.